Okay. So in my opinion, what we are teaching right now is revolutionary. And I'm not this excited because we're doing it. I'm really just excited because of the Lord, what the Lord is revealing to us. As far as I know, this is the first time in history and globally that we are constructing, just like Freud did, a brand new hypothetical construct to explain mysteries that the church has been debating and um, using over for centuries and I believe we're right because it's coming from the Lord it's making sense um, it's being echoed by the word all through the word it's amazing <coughs> um, so I'm hoping that everybody is realizing that this is this is huge really really huge but it's huge because each individual can take it implement it and we should be seeing phenomenal results over the next year or so phenomenal results <laughs> I don't know Not how average. we can I don't know how we can <coughs> emphasize this mm -hmm. enough okay don't underestimate in any way So after this, we're going to go back to building blocks, eternal truths, so that we can complete the cycle again. Because you'll find that when we do building blocks, that back then, a lot of what we said matches up with what the Lord is completing now. Well, completing more. Who knows what completion from the Lord would look like? We're discovering it. Um, but before we go there, will you just remind us? Now, please listen to this part very carefully. There, we've identified one aspect of learning that could stand in an individual's way. And um, we see that even those who think they're not doing it are doing it. So if we can all start to practice doing what works and no longer doing what stifles. Okay, so that which is going to help us progress we want to identify and we want to spend more and more of our time and effort doing what helps us progress and we want to identify small things that stifle. In other words, the small things that is going to uh, keep us from progressing or cause us to progress slower. Before we do that, read for us from the book of Hebrews, um, mm. Paul's commentary on their phenomenal growth rate and progression. So I want to remind, this is kind of a benchmark. Something in the Bible that really motivates me like a good hiding from a loving parent <laughs> would motivate a child. That kind of motivation, it highly motivates <coughs> me because this was the church that was first. This was the church that was the 
result of the ministry of Yahushua on earth. This was the church when Yahushua was no longer there that still had access to Mary, the mother of Yahushua, that had access to the original disciples. As a matter of fact, the overseers of this church, so the teachers, the people that were teaching them at their meet meetings would have been John, the disciple, the mm. beloved of the Lord, James, the elder, who was the brother of the Lord and wrote the book of, or the letter of James, the epistle. They would have had people like um, Peter. Peter would very often reside there. Peter the elder would be there. And they would, the original church, this is the original church that would, on a basic ministering occasion, whether it was around the table or teaching for hours, they would have been enjoying that kind of privilege. They were supposed to be doing the best in the history of the church. And Paul writes them this commentary. Hebrews chapter 5 from verse 12. <coughs> <coughs> Let's read verse 11. Of whom we have much to say and hard to explain, since you have become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of Yahweh. And you have come to need milk and not solid food. For everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. But solid food belongs to those who are of full age, that is, those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. Pause. Where is your senses situated in your body? The Chinese believes it's your foot soles, the soles of your foot. No. So your senses is all here, okay? And so that's why we are focusing on the minds. And this is something that should be motivating us. Never ever to become the church, the Hebraic church. Um, most of the people that would have come to salvation would have been raised in the knowledge of the Torah from a young age. A young age. There's a popular um, myth in the Christian world where just because at one point the Sanhedrin, the elders and the uh, Pharisees and the uh, experts in the law, they say to the disciples, Peter, um, that they are uneducated and uninformed. The, the Greek word is idiots. Um, so, idiots back then just mean meant somebody that was not formally educated. Sure. So, normal uh, idiots meant normal people, <coughs> average people. Flipper. Yeah, so that's what it meant. But anyway, so they um, the church. 
loves the story that yes they were preaching the gospel and doing things but they had no education it doesn't mean they were illiterate at all so in at the time when they lived in the roman uh, empire literacy is by historians um, considered to have been at about three percent of the population literacy but this wasn't true for the hebrews so in Deuteronomy, God says to the Hebrew people as a commandment, write my laws on the doorposts of your houses. Keep my precepts uh, between your eyes. doesn't mean they carried some dot or something. It, the commandment to keep it between their eyes means read. Mm. Read it. If they wrote the laws, every household was supposed to write the laws on their doorposts so that they could behold it and read it when they entered and remember it, which means they had to read and write. So literacy among the Hebrews would have been more around 85% and more. Also, as a custom, all Jewish children um, from a very young age had to be educated in the Torah and then later the Torah and the prophets um, because even though they didn't have um, subjects like mathematics and science their entire world and what they knew and what they would learn and what they would um, lay up for future generations was the Torah and the prophets and all Jewish children had to be educated in it because it would determine the way they lived in a Hebrew community. Um, boys were educated longer than girls. At a certain age, girls would stop because they only needed to know so much. Boys would continue until about the age of 12. And then those who would continue in a priestly kind of role and later become a Pharisee or a Sadducee or a lawyer, what they called lawyers, then they would continue their study and become educated, learned, and expert in the field. But that means that basically all Hebrew people were educated because you could not circumvent that process, otherwise you would not know what the law says and why you have to do certain things the way you have to. So educating a, a child in the ways of God was essential because their entire culture was based upon the commandments of God, their traditions. So, obviously, every girl had to be taught traditions surrounding feasts so that because they had to prepare the food, prepare the house. And so there was reading to them, educating them. But for, especially for boys, it was a high standard and a very important part of life for parents to make sure that their children could study the ways of God, know the ways of God, and obey the ways of God. This was a high value. It wasn't something anybody would neglect. Because a child that was going to transgress the law of God could be put out of the community. And he could not be judged righteously if he was not aware of the law. So this is basically the culture we're looking at. So when um, a person with high, had higher education, it was for two basic purposes in the Hebraic culture. To become a scribe 
or to become a lawyer. Now lawyers back then were experts on the law of God because that was their law. Scribes functioned in the service of the kings, of regional counselors, whatever they would be. Scribes would feature in translating scripture or copying scripture. Scribes would be there to record history. So these were the two top education uh, positions in the Hebrew. That was it. Scribe or lawyer. So that's why he refers to the scribes and the lawyers so often. Because they went and they, instead of becoming um, an artisan, a plumber, or an electrician, they became, they really devoted their lives to becoming a scribe or a lawyer. And that was being educated. So when the Sanhedrin refers to the disciples or the apostles as uneducated, uninformed. It just refers to the fact that they were surprised because these men, uh, it says that they had discovered, so they looked into the situation and discovered because of the boldness they had to approach both the Sanhedrin and the people, so they had the boldness that the lawyer should have or the scribe should have. And their boldness in their interaction with God, Yahweh, so they, they looked into the matter and they were surprised to find out they had not gone through this process of higher education. So there's nothing in that scripture that refers to them being illiterate. There's a big difference between not, not having higher education and being illiterate. Okay, just as a point of matter, now a lot of people would say, yes, but they were fishermen. Um, the Lord himself was a what? A carpenter. Could he read? Yes. Did he know the law? Yes. So, okay. Why is this important? Why is this important? Because there's a wave right now, uh, globally, where Christians are misreading uh, the portions of Scripture that refer we shouldn't have the mind of the world or we shouldn't be wise in our own eyes. And they're going, we should try and not use the mind at all. Especially that the foolishness of the world is wisdom with God. So there's this wave, this move, where people go, no, you've got to receive the things of God with the heart. It doesn't, you shouldn't use your mind. It just shows you that they have no understanding of anything, because if you don't use your mind, you're going to be a fake... And I can't use that word. Okay, so... You're just going to sit in a corner and be useless. Okay. So, but now they're standing behind the pulpit and being useless. So, we are doing this kind of teaching because we see in the Word that there was a culture of education that was exceptional in the time that the disciples lived. There was a, t there was a culture of education in the time of King David. So, Moses could read and write. Was it only because he was brought up in Pharaoh's court? We don't know. But the thing is, God values developing our thoughts. Okay. Now, this process means that 
we are developing what God had given us. That's all that it means. Um, but we want to be very careful because we are Westerners. And Westerners grow up liking to have their own opinions. Okay, now I want to comment right now quickly on this. We are going to have to, when we can do a Thursday again, we want to address the whole issue of where we stand now on the um, vaccine, the inoculation. We want to talk about that, so we're going to look at this again. Okay. Um, there is a move across the planet that we are observing where an, a mindset of anarchy is, has taken hold of humanity. Normal people, normal people are acting, thinking, speaking in ways that are the opposite of being civilized. Civilization simply means that humanity in those areas moves from a system where an autocratic uh, group of people told the rest of humanity they're stupid, we'll tell you what to think and what to know. Civilization means that there was a movement towards civil rule. And for civil rule to be functional, you have to have a whole lot of people agreeing on what is best for everybody. So the word comes from civilians. It's not being well-mannered. So it's the word civilization has morphed in our understanding, but it basically it means that everybody agrees to do what is best for everyone else, and you reap the benefits. That's civilization. So with the vaccines and the movements that we're seeing across the world, uh, humanity is, uh, is moving in the opposite direction of being civilized. It's called anarchy. It's when we no longer want to do what is best for everyone. And the voices out there that is screaming loudly, don't take the vaccine. Whether the vaccine is proven, not proven, works, doesn't work, might be dangerous, might not be dangerous, there's a bigger danger. And that is this development of anarchy, a mindset and an agreement globally among people that we no longer want to be civilized. Civilization is not being good people. Civilization is everybody agrees to do what is good for everyone else and themselves. And they're going to do it together. It's based on agreement. And when we start agreeing that I want to do what I want to do, you do what you want to do, we no longer have civilization. Now, we were raised with the benefits of civilization. We have roads. We have, we used to have uh, laws that governed how we use the roads. <laughs> That's no longer true. The laws are still there. But those who enforce the laws are no longer enforcing it. And those who are using the roads no longer want to act according to the laws. It can only have one result, the opposite of civilization. Okay, so we grew up with all the perks and the benefits of civilization. We can go to the shop, everything is organized, things generally work, even ESCOM works sometimes, and that's a wonderful thing when it does. And so we have civilization, 
and what humanity is moving towards because they've forgotten where we came from. They no longer know the history of the human being. Humanity is now rushing towards anarchy. Anarchy is when everybody wants to do them what they want to do and they don't want to be ruled or described, described to. So we're, going, we, we're heading back to a state of being barbaric. We know that in the end times, savagery is going to be the norm again. So enjoy civilization while it lasts. Also, just for a bit of context, um, the Germanic tribes, before they became civilized, were considered savages. Mm. So, yeah. so also we need to there are a lot of concepts about humanity and describing certain um, behaviors that we've changed in our minds when I think usually when I thought savage I would think caveman <laughs> or cannibal but that's not necessarily the case uh, Europe, most of Europe uh, were considered savages or barbarians mm. before they became Europe as we know them now so during this week I had to pull a guy off the road. He was driving in a marked um, armed response vehicle. So the company's logos were on the car. And while they were driving down the Atlantis Road, they were emptying the rubble or the, the, the stuff from their car, just throwing it out the window. I forced him off the road and reprimanded him why. So you see, his actions are taking us back into the dark ages. Mm-hmm. Is, is he acting like this because he's uneducated? No, he's got a driver's license, he's driving a car, he's got a job. No excuses. Now, when you go into the noon or um, those places, is that civilization? It isn't. Okay, so it starts slowly, little by little. So I saw a a Facebook video where they asked people on the streets of America, middle class, educated people, they asked them did they go to college, most of them did. They gave them a world map, (laughs) said can you identify any of the countries, did you see that? The reality is that humanity is using its civilization. Okay, that's why we are going to do an in-depth study and make sure that we know why we are doing what we're doing, we develop understanding, not just spiritual understanding, but the two goes together. Not just knowledge. And so we are going back to a state of being, that which they say was the state of man. There was two types of Homo sapiens on the earth. There was the new Neanderthals, and then those that developed into higher thinking beings, and they say the one species died out. No, that was a prophecy for the future. There's going to be two types of people on the earth. Us and them. Okay, so, now, can you read that? Please take note of this. This is important. All that we said is so that we have to understand, we have to pay attention to the little steps we take. It's in the steps that we take. Okay, if you don't concentrate on walking, you fall on your face. Okay, can you share that? Yes. Um, On Thursday evening already, when we started asking the questions about the teachings that we've been doing and the little tests we've been writing every so often, um, we've noticed the dynamic, and Monet already spoke about it a bit on Thursday evening, is that we need to be extremely careful when listening to teachings, when receiving teachings, when re-listening to teachings, 
not just to look for the main point and focus and meditate on the main point. We need to take into account all the little steps leading up to and following on the main point. <clears throat> and the reason this is so important and the reason we can say it's important without sounding arrogant, uh, why it's important for our teachings is because we base the strategy of our teachings on the teachings that we find in the Bible, specifically the New Testament. The New Testament letters are letters written as teachings to different churches. And if we just take, for example, Paul, if he wrote letters, but only wrote the letters containing the main point of what he wanted to say, then <laughs> the church world would have looked then, like it looks now, <laughs> where every different church has a different interpretation and understanding mm. of the main point. Because obviously, if we take Romans and the main point is predestination and election and it's beautiful in Romans chapter 8, that whole, there is therefore now no condemnation. If he had just started there but left out the whole run-up of the law and how it works and then putting in faith and then the whole gift of grace and then baptism and then the dying to the law, all of that, if he had left that out and just made the main point, then the main point wouldn't have been half as dynamic and impressive and as life-changing as it is. The same with the, what follows, because then chapter 9, he goes to election, then he goes to the true Israel and the whole two olive trees dynamic, and he touches a bit on how fellowships should work. So if all of that was ignored and only the main point was focused on, then a lot is being missed out on. The context of the main point is completely missing. And so the understanding of the main point is going to be either lacking or completely wrong. Mm. Right. And so the teachings we do, and you've taught me to do it in this way since the very beginning, is that we follow the same strategy. Mm. We say certain little things in a, as a run-up to the main point so that there's enough context for the main point to be understood in the right way. Because... The New Testament letters, the truths that are being uh, communicated and conveyed, we all understand how important it is that the truth and the main points are understood correctly and in the same way. There would be no point if, if to make a point or explain a truth or a mystery if everyone ends up understanding it in a different way. The truth is the truth. And we've been on a journey to understand faith in the same way, to look at grace in the same way, to understand righteousness as the same truth. And so the same is true for teachings. We don't want to get to the main point and then run the risk of understanding something differently from the whole. Because all the truth that we learn, we know, is essentially going to end up, it's going to make its way to open up to us the ultimate truth of one man. Now the thing with the one man truth is that because the person who is going to understand it is the seed, it could happen that the, the revelation is revealed, the truth is revealed to the person and they can gain and enter into a certain amount of understanding without necessarily 
having a firm understanding of all the foundational building blocks. Obviously, the process that most of us have followed is to put in place all the foundational building blocks so that the truth, the ultimate truth of one man, can be as fully as possible be understood by everyone and understood by everyone in this same way. What could happen sometimes is that the truth of one man, because we are seed and because that is what God has called us to, there could be revelation of the truth without necessarily understanding all the building blocks or even having all the building blocks. But the problem is going to be, so even if there's revelation of the truth later, there will be trouble with implementation of the truth. So we could, a person could have certain a certain extent of understanding of the one man truth but later as time goes on there's going to be a limitation and progression into the truth and implementing the truth and walking out the truth does that make sense and that's true for one man and that's true for the way the truths work in the bible but with this study and this is why i'm saying all of this with this study going to be impossible to understand the main point of what we are trying to teach if all the little bits and pieces are not put in the right place in the right order at the right time if something is missed or something is ignored or something is not valued as being important then the information that is gained the important parts are only going to be fed into the ego which is the study we're doing on. And that means that it's not going to form part of knowledge, become understanding and become wisdom. It's going to go into a different place and most likely will be stored as fiction. Remember we spoke about that last time. Sometimes what we really believe is still fiction because it's not true and evident in our actions. In our lifestyle. Listen carefully to what I'm saying. This is the danger we run. And we know that's how the religious world operates. Okay? So it operates. So we see in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, that Paul says, It's no longer I who live, I've been crucified with Messiah. To illustrate how something went horribly wrong in the brain of people is how can a person that believes in child baptism read that scripture and make sense of it there's no way there's no mental process that can end up in anything making sense yet they'll read it and never realize that this cannot make sense how did i die how was i crucified how is it no longer i who live and how is he living in me you see, these are the most basic questions of our faith. And this teaching series is answering the question, how is he living in us? One of the most basic questions that Christians have been trying to answer for ages. We're busy answering, how does he live in us? That's what we're answering. The Lord is revealing it to us. And we're answering it in a very practical, physiological, sensible way. Okay.
Now we're going to look at the brain so that we all get a picture. We can't get the brain, it's complicated. The terminology causes your brain to shut down the moment that you look at it. Clever people did this so that they can keep this information to themselves mm. and exclude everybody else. Okay, but we're not going to do that. We're going to look at it and keep ourselves from getting drawn into the complicated words. Okay, so we chose simplified schematics to have a quick look. Can you put that on the screen for us? Now let's go back to, we started this with referring to self-awareness. Okay, now in talking to people, getting feedback, general things said, I'm pretty sure that most people have not yet come to the point where they're understanding what we're saying completely. Because we had an idea of what self-awareness is all our lives. Mm -hmm. And so I realize people are constantly referring back to what they knew already. Okay, I want to remind you that everything you knew already was probably wrong. Okay, that's why we're doing this. Now you cannot combine the information we're giving you with what you already knew. You don't want to cross an elephant and a rabbit. You certainly don't want an elephant-sized rabbit hopping around. Yeah. Okay, so don't hybridize the information that we're giving you. It's going to become extremely harmful. So, self-awareness is simply the ability to observe without emotions, the ability to observe yourself to weigh up what it looks like from the outside, what you look like and sound like, what you said and what other people heard from the outside, and then looking from the inside and seeing if it matches up. Your value system, your picture of yourself and your actions, does it match up? Self-awareness in the worldly sense is all, encompasses all those uh, brain processes that we know as embarrassment pride. So whenever you feel embarrassed, you're actually experiencing pride. Did you know that? Okay. Um, the opposite of humility. So those kind of things. That's not the self-awareness we're talking about. And we've heard it from several people just a, a cross-reference. Okay, self-awareness, yeah, you want to keep it in its simplest form. That's what we're teaching. We're not referring to the other forms of it. It's developing a positive awareness, the ability to see yourself. Now, why am I saying this? Because you cannot develop the ability if you end up with a complicated result. That wasn't the ability. The true self-awareness that we are referring to will always be simple. You stop the momentum for a moment and just look at what's real. The moment it becomes more complicated than that, it's no longer that process, that form of self-awareness. In the future, we will change the terminology for self-awareness. We'll come up with a better term for it. Okay. Did you all hear? That if you end up with a complicated, complex 
combination of emotions and thoughts and you have to process it and work through it and try and understand the thing and it takes you half an hour then you're not busy with the right type of self-awareness that's the old type of self-awareness and we're not teaching that you should develop that we have been developing that all our lives so hear me the right up if you'll be able to identify the right awareness if you stop yourself stop everything it's like somebody that can stop time you know this movie is the superior that can stop everything we all desire that gift at some stage so you do that with yourself you stop everything and while you frozen and everybody everything is stopped in time you can walk around and look at the thing and go on. That's a silly expression on your face. Look at the other people and go like, okay, you thought you were being impressive. Look at their faces. You're not being as impressive as you thought. Then you step back in there and go like, now I'm going to change my approach. That's it. Self-awareness. The ability to stop time for a split second and quickly have a look. Is what I'm doing and saying lining up with who I think I sh am and who I think I should be. Now we all have that to a certain degree. And we equated that to the ability to repent. So it's a God-given ability. The person out there that's not repented, has not yet repented, they obviously don't have this ability given to them by God. That's why they remain so foolish. So you have this ability. Now we've got to develop the ability. Now what if I by accident did something and I froze time in the room and everybody around me was just frozen for a few seconds. Would I go like, oops, and when everything went back to normal, forget about it and never try and do it again. Would I do that? Ah, would practice <laughs> the gift all the time so fact, now everybody everyone in this room has been given a super godly ability to repent because you have done it it would be foolish not to develop that and the thing that the repentance was you became aware of what you are really doing. Mm -hmm. And you shut the ego up for long enough so that he could not convince you it's actually okay. That's what happened. Now he did it. So we've <laughs> got to develop that. That's basically what we're talking about. Now let's look at the brain. Stare at it for a little bit. Your eyes Oops, will get used to the picture. Now you don't have to look at any of those complicated names. Just get a, an idea. We're only going to go. See the frontal lobe? Does that sit in the front of your head or the back? <laughs> so now, now we know where the front of the picture is. Okay? It's very important because you don't want to get it backwards. So see how the back of the head becomes a little bit more complicated? Okay, so frontal lobe. That is like this picture. Okay, so it folds over 
the, the underneath bit. They had all the complicated little things in the middle and towards the bottom. Right. And so the middle and the bottom covered by the frontal lobe by the cerebral cortex. See the top parts fold over something else. Okay, now have you ever heard the expression you flipped your lid? <laughs> Nobody heard the expression flipping your lid. Yeah. Afrikaans say you you see it it's gestrip. Okay, flipped your lid is perfect. I don't know how old people got so close to the truth. What happens is you disengage the frontal lobe. Boom. So that you can work from this. And this is your selfish part. The primal brain. So you feel all the senses going, I need to get, I want to get angry and then you make a decision. I'm going to flip my lid and allow myself to work from my primal brain. And whatever comes out of my mouth then, I'm not responsible because my rest of my frontal lobe and stuff, that's not involved. I'm not involved. It's the other me. Makes sense. Okay, now. Yes, a simplified thing. Ignore all the, uh, is it orange-gray? I don't know what that color is. <laughs> that the khaki. Color. Ignore the khaki. Oh, that. Yeah, brown. Mustard, mustard. Okay, mustard. Thank you. I would have never thought of that. Okay. I don't know if we should use mustard for the brain. Okay, but anyway, so. Ignore the mustard. Okay. The green slug, snail, upside down snail, okay, for general discussion purposes, we're going to focus on that bottom part, that's primal, okay. Do that part. Right, now, the question we are posing is, who am I? And if the Bible says, I have been made new, it's no longer I who live, but He who lives in me, and I've been made new. So, most of us that saved says, I've been made new. Or what part? So, we just go, the whole me. Is it always true? You ask a question, what part of you have been made new? They go like, the whole me. I'm so blessed, I'm no longer cursed. That's what they say. But then, in action, it's not always true. We're going to figure it out. Okay, next one. Now, remember we spoke about ID, Ed, and then we spoke about... So, show us where... So, they, they conducted simple uh, experiments to see where the ID would, it would be, and that is where the primal brain is, right? So it fires, that shows where the brain fired if they gave it specific triggers. Okay, now, B, who can guess what B is? Hmm? Ego. So interesting that when, when we identify ego, 
it's firing there in the frontal lobe in some other parts of the brain that's not the primal brain but still firing in the primal brain so there's a partnership between two parts of the brain and then we go to superego the value system now all frontal lobe hey? all frontal lobe looks more like the top of the but importantly there's a there's a, a part of the brain more towards the back that's now firing that didn't mm. fire with ego so now we've got again super ego is two parts of the brain working together and some of the parts that's now active is also active in ego but where's id it's not on what do you mean? It's not on. So do you see that uh, ID is not lit up? Oh, I see what you mean. It's yeah. not turned on here. It's not switched mm. on. It's not firing. It's not switched on. So this is a simplified way of understanding what the brain does. Remember we said that these things are... are theoretical constructs we need to put these this the, the information in a simple frame so that we can work with it okay obviously the simplified idea of id ego and super ego is much more simple than what's actually happening in the brain in these pictures way more complicated and it kind of goes over certain areas of the brain. But the vents, remember the big neurons that has only one outlet that takes a whole lot of streams, so there's a whole lot of transmissions. So vents take the transmissions, so now ID fires up like that. It's active. It's active. Okay? It's going to now send, it doesn't just fire up and everything stays there. Now it's going to flow somewhere. It's sending impulses through the brain. Okay. It's going to light up ego. And there where ego is, is where the most vents are. Those big neurons with one outlet. So it takes all these millions of little streams of electricity and it sorts them out quickly and sends a single one to where it's supposed to go because if it didn't do that if that malfunctions all the different electrical impulses will just flood your brain and um, you get a an american rapid breakdown so <laughs> there we have Hard work. So it, it flows through and something has to minimize it to a degree that we can decide what to do. Okay. But then in the deciding what to do, ego and superego now has to fire up together because we have to check with our value system. We have to check with information that we've gathered over a long period of time to arrive at the decision what we consider to be the right decision but if it was that simple 
we would all end up doing the right thing. Because sometimes the process will go on, but ID will continue to fire up and go like, no, superego, what you're saying is not what I want to do. You misunderstood me. I want to do what I want to do. Okay. That's it. We're going to... Last one? Okay, last one. <laughs> okay, first show us where sight is. <laughs> Okay, now, what gives us a good clue of how this, all this works is if we, because I found out where the site is located, the site neurons located in the brain. You would think that it would be here, right? Thank now God I'm he knows better. I'm aware that this is a bit, I don't know if everyone can read this, so I can read it for us, perhaps. Yes, yes. Okay. So can I go piece by piece? So the frontal lobe. Wait, wait. Oh, Remember, sorry. this is highly simplified. Okay. Yes. Okay. In the frontal lobe is contained <clears throat> thought, reasoning, behavior, memory, and over here is smell. No, you don't have to re-sketch these pictures, and I will send it to you. Okay. And smell. That says movement. And now we go to the. How do you say that? Parietal lobe. And that's it. Sensation. Sensory perception. Spatial relations. And over here is hearing. Then the occipital lobe, which is the back of the brain. The left part is speech, motion, and sensation. And the right part is abstract concepts. Here we have the middle of the brain, behavior, memory, hearing and vision pathways, and emotion in the temporal lobe. But vision itself is located over here, and hearing itself is located over there. So this part only contains the hearing and vision pathways. And this says cerebellum and balance coordination. Okay. So, as the top part folds over this bottom part, the basic brain. For now, show us where sight, what pathway sight must travel. Okay. So, <clears throat> obviously our eyes are situated over here. Right? The front of the head. Whatever we see has to end up over there. Because their vision is processed. The back of our brain. So right now, look at me. You're seeing me with the back of your head. The back. <laughs> but in order for vision to get from our eyes to the part of the brain where vision is processed, it needs to travel through the brain. And it doesn't travel through the frontal lobe. It doesn't travel through the top part of the brain. No. It travels through the temporal lobe, which we also know as the primal part of the brain. Same with hearing. Hearing is processed over there. 
our ears are over here and so the hearing pathways are also located in the temporal lobe and before we can process what we hear it needs to go through the primal part of the brain. So this will explain why the following happens to us. Come on. So I'm walking through the mall to go something to buy something very basic to my needs. And in the shop window, as I walked past, never gave a thought of shopping for clothes that morning <laughs> at all. As I walk, <laughs> the most beautiful jacket I've ever seen. Ever seen. So... There's a real process where I go, I'm going to buy that jacket. I haven't seen the price tag yet and I don't care. <laughs> On the way to the till, frontal lobe kicks in, goes like, you only have 20 rands in your wallet. <laughs> what were you thinking? Why am I so surprised at why my brain does that? See, from where my eyes are situated to where it's processed, <laughs> And before it can even get to any place where decisions are made, travels through the selfish me. So the selfish me goes like, that's so me in the window right there. I see me. Okay, so... It's a very simple explanation of it goes through here. So that's when it's a non-essential act. But God created us in that way. So that when a snake jumps out of a tree, you true story. You, you, you don't have to first you don't have to first think about it. Do I jump, do I run? Before it reaches before your brain has to actually register what you saw your primal brain registers a movement and i'm pretty sure Just it's not something move. that i want to be around <laughs> so before you registered snake you did the, the impulse doesn't reach the part of your brain that interprets vision yet it went through here went through there and it was enough and that's why something we jump into the air and it was actually just a feather on the floor, <laughs> not a spider. See, that's the reason why that happens. Well, you hear something and you go, oh, someone in the house. Can you because show us an example? I'm sure we can bring a snake and throw it on the <laughs> <laughs> see, if you walk, If you walk up to me with a snake, and it hits the visual part of my brain, I register snake size species. <laughs> now the impulse is going to travel through the rest of my brain. Bens are going to send it into the file that goes like, I know about snakes and this one is not poisonous. Then it's going to travel to another part of my brain that's logic and says, well, if she can hold it to carry it toward me, it's probably not dangerous. <laughs> And so by the time she comes and reaches me to give me a scare, I go like, give me the snake. <laughs> you see, 
So that's why the same thing that could send you running, if it just moved unexpectedly, could be processed to be non-threatening <coughs> if you were presented with it in a certain <coughs> way. Okay. The brain, yes. The brain then works like this. God made it so that the whatever travels through our eyes, this is our primary way of knowing what's happening around us. And then hearing, and then smell, and of course by the time it's touch, it's too late to run. Mm -hmm. So, you have been designed by God to have this basic part of your brain that's going to react when needed, without any information needed. Okay, basic I'm information. I'm having to think it's going to respond. Now, we consider these things. That part of the brain we know works in a certain way. But now it actually performs more complicated tasks than that. And this is where our focus is. We want to understand that part of it. Okay, ID. Perfect circle. This is a brain. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> Tell us what this ID, primal brain, keeps itself busy with. Because obviously, primal brain cannot just respond when a snake is around. This doesn't happen often enough. Parts of your brain will die if this was the sole function. No, it has a lot to do, actually. It's a busy little guy. Okay. <coughs> we tend to think, as modern human beings, we use very little of our primal brain. So, the primal brain is in control of our innate, automatic, self-preserving behavior patterns. This includes fight and flight, propagation of genetic code, and provision for survival. Notable behavior patterns include defense of self, family and personal property, physical communication, and socially approved action. Okay, now, when we say socially approved action, it's not the same as what Super ego performs. So this is so this is when you walk through the office and you see someone and you nod without thinking about it, okay. or you want to communicate confidentiality and you go like. <laughs> someone explains something, or do you understand? You go yes. Where Instead did we? Why do we why do we go like this? Yes, if you're a Westerner and if you live in India. Yes. It's a very, very good. It's very good. Okay, so why why? What happened? How did it come that they do that and I do this for the same thing? So very early on, basic social cues 
are registered there. And body language. Physical communication. Physical communication emanates primarily from this area. So you say things with your body that you never meant to communicate. I'm fine. <laughs> <laughs> and this is where this, kind of, this part of the brain does its own thing in communication. Interesting, isn't it? communicates yeah. things because if you had to think cognitively every time before you shook your head yes it would be hard work <laughs> <laughs> she was going like yes <laughs> <laughs> she never decided to do that <laughs> have you ever had a conversation with someone that speaks with their hands yes. <laughs> <laughs> no <laughs> <laughs> Have you ever seen a person in traffic alone in their car and they're having a conversation on the phone and they're going like this and, and you're going, the other person cannot see you. Are you aware of the fact? <laughs> it cannot be a logical response. Cannot. <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> why, why is the person <laughs> in the car <laughs> speaking with their hands when no one can see them? Because this part of the brain is not under our control. I never decided to do this. <laughs> Just happened. <laughs> Why it happened, no one knows. <laughs> but I it works. <laughs> Did I get your attention or not? This is supposed to be for self-preservation. <laughs> How does it preserve me, causing me to look like a clown when I speak? I don't understand what ID is doing. ID, my ID has a very good sense of humor when it comes to me. Okay, so we get what ID does. We don't have control over it. And so remember, um, the reason why it might make certain gestures is because this part of the brain, is, is its main function is self-preservation. And so certain uh, bodily communications, physical communication, and certain uh, socially accepted behaviors are there to preserve. Because if I just frown at everyone, then that's not going to preserve me. Socially acceptable mm -hmm. communication. Now, why is it that when people get embarrassed, they smile? It's not a laughing matter. <laughs> and when they really, when a person really gets embarrassed, they start laughing. It's like the, a serious <laughs> conversation. The boss is about to fire you and you go like, <laughs> ah, ah, I'm so sorry. That doesn't help. Okay, so this is where... <laughs> I don't know what happened. <laughs> 
Okay, so that is supposed to be physical communication to disarm and communicate friendliness and I'm not a threat, but then sometimes ID gets it wrong. Okay, now this is where the other parts of the brain are supposed to intervene. But now under high stress circumstances, some things go wrong. Okay, so this part of the brain, the superego, is supposed to accumulate information that becomes our value system. This is where we store information that forms a moral value system. And this is so that we can protect. So if we just look at why human beings need this, is so that we can develop, nurture and protect relationships because we are social creature. We did speak about this again. We decided we have to emphasize this because we would not need moral standards if we didn't need to preserve relationships. This is why it is the strange thing happens under war circumstances where normal people no longer functions according to this because they no longer have to preserve social relationships in the same manner as in peacetime. So a person can become a violent monster because under certain circumstances it would benefit his social relationships with the other soldiers around him. So it's simply a part of the brain that would accumulate a whole lot of uh, uh, information from wherever to form a picture of what would make you fit in and be accepted socially. And this would explain a little bit of what has happened in America over the last uh, few years where people become mad, normal people become mass murderers because of the mixed information that is being stored in humanity right now. Okay. Now, so, we're going to get to the main point we're making, and this is extremely important, because what we are constructing, listen carefully for the record, a theoretical construct to explain what the rebirth of the resurrected believer is in the physical form. So remember we said that ID before resurrection, that primal brain is the dark, selfish, self-preserving creature that will only do what it has to do to the benefit of self. Okay. Now, it's very important, very important that we don't get confused. What we're saying is that, in essence, the moment you get baptized and you die in baptism, the dark creature is gone. And that is replaced by godliness. Now that needs a little bit more explanation. Okay. Now I don't want us to get confused because now we've realized that this confuses some people because I'm 
still thinking I've got the dark person and that explains why I'm still making mistakes or doing the right, the wrong thing. The theory, the theoretical construct is that if it says that the Holy Spirit lives in us, he has to live somewhere. Obviously, this is the control center of your being. So for him to come live in your left palm of your hand would make no sense. Or even in your heart, which essentially is just a muscle. Mm. So where is he going to live? The renewal of the person for the longest time, Christians have been speaking about I'm a new person, I've been made new. Nobody has any idea or concept or construct for what that means. We are still a physiological functioning construct. The whole thing still needs to work in a certain way. So, something physiological had to take place in you to change you this much. Because you That's logical. physically, you didn't just change spiritually. And this is the basic program, this is what controls you basically. Because that controls you under normal circumstances, but when war comes and you have to survive, that's not going to control you, this is. Because that can change. Okay? Now, if our theoretical contract, uh, uh, construct is correct, then we are on to explaining one of the biggest mysteries in the history of humanity. But you might say, well, if that has been completely, so that's light, once it was darkness, now it's light. Why am I still sometimes then acting out of that? Because the physiological nervous system remains the same. It is the basic program, the basic guy, uh, determining program has been wiped out and you have been given a new program. And that new thing is the human nature has been taken out of you. You died. And the Holy Spirit has moved in and put its throne in its place. But because this only sends impulses that is supposed to now get the agreement of the other parts of your brain to function, there's a process that is now activated where from this command center, impulses is sent and the rest of your brain has to be taught to understand these impulses, because now you're receiving impulses that doesn't make sense to you. Yeah, especially <coughs> according to your super ego and your ego. Because remember, this still has stored information. Mm. This is the part that was made new. Mm. Mm. Now you see, we start off, and this is our idea. Let's talk about how where your identity is. Now this is going to be the shortest and the best identity course that ever existed. <laughs> <laughs> Average church, it takes eight weeks. <laughs> but it's <you> special. <laughs> Two minutes. And the whole thing they're trying to, to, to get to is your identity in, Messi in Messiah. Okay. But they are trying to... Con because they don't understand what changed, 
They're just trying to convince you to believe it's true. Something changed, we don't know what, just go with it. <laughs> so what, what we're saying is the process has to be logical. Because the brain works in a certain way. Well, if it's functioning right, it works in a certain way. Okay, so... Neurologically, this remains more or less the same, as far as we know. Something else changed it. Something, the basic information that guided this, changed. So now, because that has become light, the impulses that sent to the rest of the brain is, I want to do the right thing, I want to do the will of God. I'm no longer self-preserving in when it matters. I want to lay down my life for the body. Okay. But now, you, God cannot just wipe everything out of this part and just put that in you. Because then, where's the system that tells you to eat when you're hungry? That still has to be in place. So the basic functions is still there. He doesn't wipe that out. So there is still self-preservation. But the Holy Spirit is here to guide the self-preservation. There's still hunger. The Holy Spirit is there to guide how you get the food. Does that make sense? Mm. So then it starts making sense where the basic change takes place. Mm. Why do I want to do the right thing? Why do I choose differently? Yeah. Now, the thing is, if we have to identify where our identity is, this is your basic identity, the substance of your being. So this is what goes back to God or what goes to hell. Your being is there. Because your value system is going to be of no consequence. You're just going to pay according to it in the end of the day. Okay. So now, the theoretical construct is that we've identified where in the physical being the soul is. That thing inside of you that's you. But remember, this is a basic construct. It cannot self-regulate. So the Holy Spirit regulates from here. The ego, as you grow up, when a child starts developing self-awareness, a concept of self, that's when ego starts becoming your identity. Becomes your identity. And these two parts of the brain, they mirror each other with whatever is impulses is received from outside. So ego develops according to impulses from here and impulses from there. And now ego is constructed over time. And this becomes the idea you have of you. Because you certainly don't want to be in direct contact with this creature. And you don't want to be this creature. So that's why now we have, more towards the functioning parts of the brain, a center where ID or identity is now constructed. Listen carefully, it's constructed. Mm. Partly by you and partly by the world around you and all those influences. And this is where we start to, so we, 
um, receive impulses from outside. Yeah, where is, can you, oh, your phone, I need to access my phone. Okay. I'm going to draw a basic schematic of what basically happens in our development. Okay. Um, right, okay. Now, oh, I need to get this. You can move to this side. So, I'm going to draw a perfect brain. Amazing. Okay. And, so, ego is there. Super ego and here ID. Right. Now, self preservation. That's what this part of the brain is busy with. But to self preserve, it has to have. There has to be a plan. There has to be a strategy to self-preserve. And what happens in this part of the brain, it stores memories. We have explained it. There's a reason why we're doing it again. Because the more you start to understand what's happening in you, the more we can use self-awareness for the right purposes. Mm. So this is going to store... pain or discomfort and this is going to store um, yeah, reward where else I going reward okay now this has to do with safety security and this has to do with safety and security might look like two little different functions. But remember, it's busy with self-preservation. So from the earliest moments, that's why they reckon babies have memories from the womb. And then they went and got silly with the idea. So this basically, as the brain develops, the first thing it starts doing is it has to store information here. It cannot store information there. Because your two-year-old has no moral values whatsoever. It's an immoral little creature. <laughs> it, just needs to, it just needs to survive infanthood. It needs to grow up and then it can sort out how it fits into society. But first it just needs to survive. Okay, so. It's going to start filling those two files with as much information as it can possibly gather all the time okay and here it's sto it's storing in the same place in that basic um, uh, command center what causes me to feel secure what causes me to feel insecure pain and reward and then it starts functioning accordingly okay now here is then where insecurity develops, according to a whole bunch of pieces of information. 
So when we, uh, Shulani said the other evening when she shared, she said she was flushed. She felt flushed. So this was, you were accessing information and this was responding out of that file. And you had to override it with the rest of your brain. That's why we have responses. And we, we, how many of you have thought, I wish I would stop feeling intimidated when the boss walks in the room. And you concentrate on it and you try and compose yourself, but yet, it's like, why am I blushing under circumstances where I don't want to blush? It's like this mm. part of the brain is just going to respond. Mm. Okay, so that, we hate it. Is that also the part of the brain that responds when we think of a certain memory or project ahead and we have a physical reaction? Mm. That part of yeah. the brain is responding because I don't decide to start feeling angry when thinking of a memory. Okay. So listen carefully, everyone, please. So the more a person is still functioning from the basic two files, the more vulnerable we are to fear mm -hmm. and anxiety. So if we struggle with fear and anxiety, it is an indicator that we are still functioning to a greater de a degree from this part of the brain. This will cause selfish behavior. And you go and you think later, when you walk out of it, you think, why did I act like that? It's not me. Because ego thinks you are who you're not. This is who you are. Ego gives you a picture of who you are. So how, now, how does one get out of it? by developing this, Consciously. That's why we're doing this teaching. By developing this, because this is renewing the mind. That has been renewed. And this is the beauty, beauty of this reality. If you reborn, it means that has been redeemed. Where does redemption take place? Firstly, there. From that, you are now enabled by the Holy Spirit. To now redeem that according to the redemption that took place there. And redeem that according to the redemption that, that took place there. So your basic first identity is renewed by resurrection. That's the miracle part. Because there is no physical way. There is no other way that that could be made new ever in even in exceptional circumstances in a normal human being it can't be overwritten it can't be changed because you can't directly access that part of your brain it's just information that's stored so unless the fact that, yes. unless so what the russians and the germans and many others have tried through the centuries they called it brainwashing simple mm. term they tried to access these files and put very basic, you cannot put intellectual information into this file. You have to put very basic, you have to force basic impulses through and store millions of mega. You cannot suggest something 20 times and it's going to have any effect in these files. You literally need to establish billions of little megabytes of information. Mm. And that's why they would keep in, 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 in mind washing, brainwashing, they would literally keep at it for days, weeks, months, mm -hmm. 
and they would just feed it impulses over and over that force the brain uh, to store to bits of information here. And if there's enough of it stored, your basic programming will start to respond in a certain way. It's also very, known as reflexes. Very simple. Okay. Now, that's why piece of people that are highly trained, like the Navy SEALed, they store information that later on will govern their reflexes. Okay. But now your question is, how do you change it? It's going to take time. Because now, we renew that according to what we believe, because everything we're doing is now according to faith. You come out of the water and you believe something has been made new. Now, before we had to believe, I'm just made new. Look at this. Hey. Wouldn't it be much better if I understand that the basic brain has now been given the potential for godliness. And it exists through the Holy Spirit in me. That could be a piece of breakthrough information for us to break through that barrier because the church always develops, always progresses to a certain point and it cannot get further than that. Few individuals has progressed but the church can never break through that basic barrier. Why? Because they, I believe they needed this piece of information. If we understand basically how the brain functions and now we know where the renewal is taking place, and we know this can be altered, and that can be altered. It can be, a, it can be altered 100%. This, we knew it would be almost impossible to alter it in more than a slight, to more than a slight variant of its original. Now, the amazing thing is, we know that animals has... Um, instinct. So information genetically transmitted. The fact is that humans have not been able to answer how much instinctual information is genetically transmitted. It's been a difficult question to answer. In this part of the brain there's instinctual information and the baby proves it by crawling up to the source of the nourishment. So we know there's at least a little. What if in the renewal God does the same thing in that part of the brain that is done with a baby bird or a lizard. A lizard is not raised by its parents. And it knows what to do. And from species to species, they have different habits and different responses and they act differently. Why? Why? Why does a chameleon not act like a crocodile? And a crocodile doesn't act like a chameleon. Did it see others do it? You can, put in, you can isolate a crocodile, it's going to be a crocodile. Okay, now, if that's possible in humans, and there's a renewal, a resurrection, a rebirth, then godliness exists here. 
the right impulses, right circumstances is created by God for us to start to interpret what is already there. Now this is a theoretical construct. Remember I'm saying, just like in the beginning this whole thing was a theoretical construct that had to be proven over time. I'm saying that we are establishing a theoretical construct, but it lines up with the Word in so many different ways. Okay, so... Very quickly from the onset of faith, where light... So this is how faith comes, according to our theoretical construct. This is where your value system is. What is right and wrong? Light shines into this part. If God is going to start to impact a person that was once lost and without God in this world, how is He going to impact them? doesn't shine the light in there. He doesn't shine the light in there. Light that, that hits here to your value system is now going to contrast what's already in there with what's coming from God. These two things have to fire together. They have to communicate with each other. And now what, what is perceived as a godly standard is mirrored against who I, re who I consider myself to be and perceive myself to be. And the impulse that's sent back is, I'm not computing. I'm not finding a correlating image. And this causes the response to repent. Causes the response to repent. So, this part of the brain is registering that something has to change because if it accepts what is coming from God, so God reveals His image to this part of the brain that governs what is right and wrong and what we want to form ourselves according to. This part of the brain goes like, I look nothing like that. And That's so, that struggle before baptism where you go like, what am I? Who am I? Have I always been this? So first, the Bible says that first we encounter the law. And the law becomes a guardian, someone to train us, a tutor. So, now, this part of my brain that now contains my created identity. Self-image. My profile, my self-image. Goes... This isn't lining up with that. So what do I have to do? First response is, we're going to respond to the law. Well, all I then have to do is change a few of my actions so that I can find some of these things lining up and I'll feel better. So that's where we first go into works. And then it leads us to works, that, that leads us to faith. But when faith comes, the change comes. So what happens is, I start to, in myself and in my actions, I try to fulfill what I perceive to be right. And then I start failing. Because this guy still wants to do... Still sending impulses. Whatever is good for me. So there's a 
clash of interests that's starting to happen on the inside. Enmity. That's struggle. Somehow we come to the bit of information that tells us, well, you have to die to yourself. You have to be baptized. That's why, because of self-preservation, Satan could introduce... Satan could introduce religion because religion says like, no, no, God loves you. You can keep this. We can slightly adjust that and uh, you just have to make a few tweaks there and we're fine. But the true gospel goes, these two go around the corner and they whisper. They go, we got to get rid of the third guy. Ideas like something's up. <laughs> I smell a rat. I smell a rat. <laughs> and the idea goes like, boys, this is a test war. <laughs> like, I'm crazy. So Ivy goes, this is my brain. And the other two guys like, we're taking over. And so what's up? What happens is, there's a struggle. This explains why the struggle before the baptism. Because half of your brain is now overthrowing half of the other part of your brain. That was created to self-preserve. So that part's going, why, why do you want to... Why uh, is me wanting to kill me? This makes no sense. Mm. It's like an implosion of the whole system. It's turning on itself. It's a civil war. <laughs> Bible calls it laying down yourself. And so you make it to the baptism water and it works. Now let's talk about why it doesn't work in the baptism water. Is there's a huge struggle in the water. Someone's trying to drown the other one. This guy's trying to drown that one. That one is trying to drown that guy. And this guy says, it's not right to kill anyone. And um, I'm Switzerland. Yeah. And somehow, some people manage to keep this alive. And that's when you die eternally. If this, if the light that comes from God here is enough to conform that very quickly to what is true and right. To get the ego to agree. Then God does the miracle, takes the dark little thing out, gets rid of it. That goes to the cross. That's what Messiah took on the cross. It's all our dark little reptilian brains and he places himself in that place of the brain the physiological functioning stays the same it's still going to govern your eating and basic survival but there's another person that's pushing the buttons and control of that thing now and this is where we're going to go from here now starts a very interesting process. First, <coughs> this part of the brain, ego, just wants to jump the gun and go like, man, I am fully in line. We are like this. <laughs> you know, the new ID and ego ID, we go like we're the same. Oh, exactly. exactly. So, I can no discrepancies. This. 
I can do this. I am okay. this. <laughs> the problem is this still contains, now this becomes the problem. Mm. So why do we still sin? Because this still contains a whole lot of old information. Remember that And a wrong picture of you. Exactly. The old self-image. It was programmed in a certain way. So renewing the mind means we start to, as quickly and effectively as possible, download the truth here, and we start getting rid of everything in that center of the brain that's not according to the word. Now, these two have to agree to some extent to come to decision and to come to action. But now, if we have too much happening there, and it doesn't, and this renewal doesn't take place in the image, the identity, then what is there becomes fiction. Can I insert something? <clears throat> the process that he's referring to, we also know as, we call it the Peter equation. Mm. Mm -hmm. Right? So, faith comes because the God himself starts shining the light. Faith comes, but then, we can't go from there, so we're made new. We can't go from there to knowledge. Mm -hmm. We can't just start filling that because that's not the way the equation works. Step one is add to your faith virtue. That's the dark one made new. And the first step is not just having it made new, it's to start to get in line with, start operating from a redeemed ID. Mm. That's, what, that's what adding virtue to your faith means. Because before you start just adding knowledge and start reprogramming the superego, first you need to add virtue. First you need to realize that you are a redeemed ID. I'm no longer the dark one. You need to first swim around in those new impulses that the Holy Spirit is sending. He used to say in the beginning, before baptism, it was easy to do the wrong thing and difficult to do the right thing, even though you know what it might be. After baptism, it's easy to do the right thing and really hard to do the wrong thing cognitively. And that's that process of adding virtue, because first we need to start realizing that we are a new creation. And once we've developed enough of that, now we can start feeding information into the superego because this is the part that needs to be ultimately reprogrammed because we need a, a new self-image, a new identity the way we know ourselves. So, becoming <coughs> Messiah-like is when this self-image or profile is now completely reflecting him. And no longer, because this still wants to reflect what it used to be for 30 years or 20 years. So slowly but surely, the reality of how you see yourself on the inside and in relation to the, to the world out there, is now 
not reflected back to the world out there, it's reflected back to your positioning in Messiah, to eternity mindset. And that's what that's what the script the scripture says. We behold and are transformed. And when your inside mirror is now reflecting him and no longer this what it used to be. what it used to be then that's conformed now it can reflect the true nature that's in you and that's the holy spirit so this reflects that that reflects him the this is part of your brain is completely weird you've rejected all other knowledge and basic principles of the world so that reflects that that reflects that both reflect that and you have full agreement no more double-mindedness and you know what the sign is when this all starts to line up and agree with the renewal, the rebirth, it creates humility. That would be the sign. That's why as the submission here, conforming to his impulses, his guidance, not resisting it. Allowing him to change the self-image. Because a lot of people are renewed in baptism, but they don't want him to mess with their image too much. They set about creating a Christian image for themselves. That's an idol. And then if the information that's coming in here is corrupted, this can never work together, and that's why you have religious pride. False humility. False humility. I think that's a lot. <coughs> if we can just start to really work on getting these pictures, because uh, where we want to go to with self-awareness is that we're actually seeing ourselves according to the basic functioning of the brain. And if I go into... Uh, fear responses, I have to ask, am I responding to this? To the image that I have in him, or am I busy functioning out of a very basic design for survival? Which means you have to now go against that and against that to achieve your fear response. And that's what we call doubt and unbelief. That's why the Bible says, and double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. Now we're going to read a few scriptures. <laughs> Can we go to Corinthians? Mm. And if you go read this at home, it's going to blow your mind. <laughs> and, uh, in, a, in a good way. <laughs> blow your mind. So when, the, okay, so when the Bible says, set your mind on the things above. Why have we been struggling so much in trying to remember to think about certain things? It set your mind. It set your entire process on the inside, according to the things above. That's the process we call discipleship. Okay. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. <laughs> Now consider the Corinthian church. Who and what they were. Uh, church 
where people came to basic faith and then they keep struggling with basic sin. Listen what he's invoking. From verse 6. However, we speak wisdom among those who are mature, yet not the wisdom of this age, nor of the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. But we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the ages for our glory, which none of the rulers of this age knew, for had they known, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, I has not seen, nor ear heard, nor have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. Okay, wait. <laughs> I has not seen, nor ear heard. The two ways that the brain is programmed. Especially the primal part. Well, yeah. So without the supernatural inworking of the Holy Spirit, that's the only way we learn. Mm. And that has to follow certain brain functions. Now I hear what he says. But God has revealed them to us through His Spirit. <laughs> For the Spirit searches all things, yes, the deep things of God. For what man knows the things of a man except the Spirit of the man which is in him? Even so, no one knows the things of God except the Spirit of God. Now we have received, not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might know the things that have been freely given to us by God. These things we also speak, not in words which man's wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Spirit teaches, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. But the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, nor can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. Now, we're going to skip over 15 and the first part of 16. We will look at that in the future. But let's just go to the last little sentence. But we have the mind of Messiah. <laughs> Paul. Genius. <laughs> And oh, next yeah. week, <laughs> we are going to unpack this scripture properly. Okay, but we introduce it so that you can start to explore it yourself. Uh, yes. No, it just came to me that it makes sense also now why it says we are saved and being saved. Mm. And sanctified yeah, and being sanctified. And dying? So it's starting to make sense? Mm. I don't know, I always knew conforming would mean I would look like him and think like him and speak like him. But somehow, somehow it was, 
vague. I think it was more of a, a heart thing. I thought my heart would be changed to his heart. But this makes much more sense. Obviously, this is how I'm going to be conformed. Because I've already been changed here. So, I mean, there he is. I'm feeding the information and I'll, all of this just needs to work together. Is the ego also then where the witness sits? Or the witness kind of operates from? Because then you have it's in line with everything else. You have a witness when the ego and the superego um, concur with each other all the time. And uh, what you're getting back from the outside <coughs> world, in other words, what's reflected back from your actions and your words is confirming what is in superego and what ego considers you to be. Mm. That's witness. Does that make sense? Mm. So you have a unprofitable witness when superego has a set of right information but ego caused you to find excuses to do something that's not lined up or opposite to what the pure information of truth is in superego. It's almost still from that old, old self-image. Yeah. So it's that's when the information isn't completely... That's when the Bible says, don't go bold again, those things that you... Okay, because now if if the right information is there and you know what's right and you out of sinfulness so this is where sin comes in this is where sinfulness out of the ego wanting to still do what it does because this is going to send impulses but ego learned from this mm. to do what it wants to do selfishness so now that used to be selfish ego was corrupted to become selfish. That became part of your inherent personality. Now, we keep hearing truth and it is stored there, but ego still wants to have two parts to it. Okay. And then because ego does the wrong thing, it cannot agree with superego. It starts to build again mm. the old nature. Because ego cannot operate on its own independently. Mm. It needs agreement from somewhere. Okay. And now you have a person regressing in their faith walk when ego and ID starts resisting the Holy Spirit and building again the old nature, the human nature, the self nature. And the Holy Spirit will pull back and allow a person to continue if they continue to do that. And that's yes. what causes the witness to go wrong. Sure. The witness is when the three becomes an outward reality and the picture you're getting back is the true picture of what you're truly doing and saying and who you really are. Also rest. <laughs> yeah, then you'd have no reason to stress. <laughs> <laughs> but you see, it's the it's when these three parts don't line up, when they disagree with each other. So that's when there's uh, it's Some clashes. Mm. And when it clashes, obviously, ID wants to self-preserve, 
So it starts finding all kinds of ways to, that's why there's stress and... So now, value system is kingdom first. Seek thee first the kingdom and his righteousness. Um, ego has the information that family first, mm. not kingdom first. But ID is renewed. ID goes sending impulses kingdom first, the Lord first, because it's the Holy Spirit speaking from there. Ego goes, I'm going to find a way to do both. Mm. Conflict. <laughs> and the conflict starts causing all kinds of stress. So the stress has to be interpreted by the rest of the brain because ID doesn't interpret the stress. It just wants to respond mm. to it. Mm. Makes sense. Mm. That's why some people have left us because then they start coming back with an answer saying it's causing me conflict and it must be the fact that this the truth that's coming in is too much truth. Asking too much. It's too difficult. And so they try, the three of them try to come to an agreement to compromise on something. They're still going to mm. serve God. Because ego has to be put at ease. So they go like, look, we can all agree. Let's adjust, make small adjustments, and you don't have to worry about yourself anymore. Makes sense. So this it's complex how this can happen in different forms. But basically, if we want to move on to Messiah likeness, you can't circumvent the process. If you want to satisfy self, you can't be Messiah like. And now self isn't ID anymore, it's ego. And that's where the old understanding of ego does feature to a certain degree. Because your ego will start to justify it, negotiate, give you false information. <coughs> that's how it happens. So the function of coming together in the body is to make sure that the mirror image that's coming back is from the word and from the body. Okay, so you might go think about the scripture that says he's the head and we are the body. And then apply this. Combine it with we have the mind of Messiah. Okay. Elijah, what are you doing here? Go factor that one in there. Okay, so we're going to explore this, build out on it, and um, I believe this is how we actually... I think that barrier that the church keeps coming to is the one that ego constructed. Goes like, look guys, we're doing okay, we're doing well. I'm not a bad person. We look really don't have to go beyond this point, okay? Look, guys, I want to... I want to stick around. I like myself. Okay. So please, super ego, just tone it down a little bit. And ID, okay, I'm not going to resist you, Holy Spirit, but please, you know, like, I've still got to survive here. Mm. And so mm. ego, mm. ego starts making a plan, and the barrier the church gets to is that barrier, I believe. It's like, what happens 
when ego ceases to exist and ID see has ceased to exist mm. and all that's left is the word of God mm. now who wants to go there I mean uh, I'm not around to see it no. where's the benefit okay so we got to think about all these things okay <laughs> and then the write down questions mm. go check the steps we took in speaking, in painting the picture, make sure you know all the steps. So what we're actually back to is one man. Mm. But in a very, in a very real, physical way. Be of one mind. Mm. In a fictional way. So we're going to get rid of the fiction then. Okay, is that enough feedback, questions? Is it, okay, just, just thinking of that, how much have we been operating out of ID? Are we realizing how much we actually, yeah. we think reptilian brain is only when I get a fright. How much are we actually functioning from it? I think it's worthwhile to start to to get a, an idea of how much are we functioning from that basic survival stuff. Okay, so now the files that contains the information on pain and reward, that's not wiped clean when you are reborn. I forgot to say that. Mm. But the potential to... So, so in a normal person those files cannot be adjusted easily with other words it takes years of therapy to change one little thing in the pain or fear file mm -hmm. or the pleasure file mm -hmm. years of therapy what the, the renewal unlocks is that the information can be adjusted very rapidly mm -hmm. but it's not automatically mm -hmm adjusted <coughs> okay so walking in the spirit is the living spirit of God now being inside of you residing inside of you you and him can partner to reprogram so that's the main difference between us and the guy out there for him to adjust even the smallest bit in those two files very difficult Imagine this becomes the consciousness of the end-time church. Mm -hmm. I can ask, how, mm. how will this process help us to uh, find if something has landed in the fiction file, which is quite an important part uh, for, for the functioning of faith? Oh, how will we, through this process, be able to find out what has landed there to examine? Things. That's where self-awareness has to be developed, the right kind of self-awareness. So the honest ability to very verify what is reality in my thinking and externally. And we start to, to um, rightly mirror. So we have a mirror image that's true. We'll be able to 
identify where we're using imagination, right? Because there's a right, imagination is not just, shouldn't just be written off. Mm. We just have to learn to use it right. Mm. Then we can see where we've been using imagination. And if we can identify where and how we're using imagination, we can identify what are related out of fiction and never change. But that's going to be a process of mature. So this is maturing. <coughs> so the whole maturing thing is this this basic process. Does, does this also involve the, um, examining the right motivations of the heart? So it goes via that channel that is established then in the right way. If, if we are looking at it constantly, yeah. then we will be feedback the right information. Motivations of the heart, where's that thing? Um, yeah. So, motivations of the heart, okay. So, that's when ID, but the self ID, not the Holy Spirit ID, because now you've got to kind of see it like this has been renewed and wiped clean, but you are there and he's there. Mm. And that's when the Bible says, do not. We don't want to suppress him, disobey him, uh, ignore him, those kind of actions. But now the motivations of the heart is when self-preservation me wants to um, satisfy something in my old reward file. I want to be acknowledged, I want to be admired, I want to be important, I want to be heard, all those things. And these are connected always. So the reason I want this reward is because I, I still have a pain file that says I, I, I used to be ignored, whatever, rejected, and all those abandonment and those things. Okay, so let's get away from the complexity of it. So when this sends a signal to ego, says I want this because I need to satisfy something in the reward file or avoid something here. Ego sends the signal, but because ego, before the ego can act, it has to agree with superego. These two have to agree. They govern each other. So the signal comes from here, not the Holy Spirit, but you. Then, superego sends a signal back, says, yeah, but if you do it like that, everybody's going to know it's selfish. Ego goes, oh, okay, I'll find a way. For us. For us. I will do this for us. I did it for us. I will make way. So now, ego will take the information that super, super ego is sending back. It wants to please ID because it is always trying to negotiate between the different parts and it's going to externally communicate or act what ego did selfishly to satisfy this in a way that is going to be a pretense and or draw attention away from the fact that it's for this purpose so it's going to do everything in its power to make it seem like it's got nothing to do with this that's when it's wrongful motivation so the wrongful motivation is <laughs> Wrongful motivations are always around this. It wants to respond to this. Ego's job is to make sure nobody can see that it's got to do with this. No, it's got to do with that. Really, all my motivations are coming from that. 
not from here. No, it's a lie. It's not from here. It's not for me. And then I'm going to make a long story. See, the thing is, you know, you, you, you can know when this process is happening. Because if it's a signal from superego to ego, bounces off I, the Holy Spirit, goes like thumbs up. It's a very simple response. Simplest, quickest, not complicated. Doesn't that translate into wisdom? Yeah. <laughs> but now, when it has to take this in account and that in account, it wants to satisfy and pacify that. This now has to be brought in, reworked and reprocessed, um, sent back there, override the Holy Spirit, gets a thumbs up from self, and ego has to now rework the whole production into something that is going to manifest on the outside and not point back to this. You've got to cover your tracks. The way you know this happened, it's complicated. That's how you know this is what you're doing, when it's complicated. <laughs> When it's not a one-liner, it's a whole story. That's how you know. And that's why it is so complicated. Because it is complicated. Because you have to cover your tracks. You cannot be traced back to here. Because this is going to tell you, this is wrong. Don't do it. So you go like, he's not going to know. Because ego so is going to... They go around the corner. I'm just going to... <laughs> so that's how that so so we are on a learning in a learning process of understanding those wrongful motivations being able to identify because now we've got to get ego to speak the truth that's the tricky bit mm -hmm. you see super ego is going like he just you will not admit to this yeah it's like why <laughs> We, we don't expect that this will just land first time around. That's why we're going to spend. But I think a lot of the success is going to be how much homework everybody is going to do. Because you're going to have to go and process this at home. <laughs>